So let's get right right into our uh, into our sermon this morning. Um, we are picking up with Acts chapter fourteen, and I'm just going to pray for us uh, just to transition our hearts and our minds to hear from God's word. I, I I think guys that there's an expectation that you should come with to church where when we worship that you, you should prepare your heart to worship, not not start worshiping the third song into the morning, not get here during the second or third song and then not transition your heart to worship at all, but to come and be prepared to worship. And also it, it's important when we start talking about God's word to feel the same way about it, to prepare our hearts to receive what God is going to teach us and train us uh, in, in his word. He uses his word to, to change us and to grow us and to challenge us and to sometimes um, convict us, you know, even to, to some of the things going on in our lives. And this is kind of a tough sermon this morning. It's kind of a, a more difficult passage to think through and to think about where you're at. So let's, let's pray that God will allow us to prepare our hearts, that he'll be uh, strongly influencing us as we listen to his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, would you just um, allow us to be challenged, that we wouldn't poison our minds, as it says today, that we wouldn't stand back and not hear what you have to say, God, but that we would take your word in, that we would allow it to roll around in our head and our hearts, and it would change the way that we, we think and the way that we act and who we are, God. Would you just continue to challenge us in places that we need to grow? Um, and I pray, God, that we would just be very careful about how we uh, decide what is true and what isn't, how we run our lives and, and what we believe, God, that you would um, give us the ability to, through your Holy Spirit, to to vet that information and to pay attention to what you're doing and listen to the leading of your Holy Spirit as opposed to the culture around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we good here, uh, Ben? Okay. Let me know if there's a problem. All right, so we're going to pick it up with Acts chapter 14, and we basically are in the section now where Paul is kind of taken over. There's been kind of a transition in the book that went from the church is kind of pushing out into Gentile territory to now here's the story of Paul, who's going to be the first missionary, really. And so now the story kind of transitions and focuses on Paul, and in this case, Paul and Barnabas, and their missionary journeys. Now, it will zoom back into Jerusalem for chapter 15 and then back out to what's going on around uh, the region after that. But basically, from this point on, this is beginning with Paul's story. And we've been watching Paul kind of go through uh, the area. Um, and it's funny because at the end of chapter 13, this is not in your slides, Russ, um, the, uh, this, is what it, this is what it says about uh, Paul and Barnabas and how they kind of, they don't really overstay their welcome, but everywhere they go, they get kicked out. Um, so it says, when the Gentiles heard this, heard the gospel, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders, and they're like in this, um, this uh, area called uh, Pisidian, Whatever, it's on the way to the area of Galatia, which is where we're going to find ourselves today, the, the, the region of Galatia. So he says, um, they heard this, they appointed uh, eternal life, those who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city. So they, they, uh, they got into the ears and incited some of the most powerful people in the area, the most richest, the richest people in the area. And so they created kind of a, a, a problem for Paul and Barnabas. This is they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and then went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So as they leave the area that they're in, they shake off the dust on their feet. In other words, uh, Jesus 
teaches his disciples to do this. When you go into an area and the word of the Lord is not listened to, there aren't open hearts. There aren't people that are ready and prepared to hear the word of God. That if there's a, comes a point where you kind of cut it off and you allow those people what they want. You just say, okay, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. I've come and shared truth with you. If you're not willing to listen, okay. And they shake the dust off their feet. As if to say, by the way, this is like a Jewish concept where you would, when you would leave like a Gentile area, you didn't even want to carry the dust from the Gentile area into the Jewish area. You would shake off your feet. You would shake it off so you wouldn't carry any of that dust with you. And so they're literally doing this where they're at right now. They're shaking off the dust, and they're moving on to, uh, to Iconium. Okay, so that's, this is where we're picking up the story today. Sorry, let me switch back to my other. Okay, so we're at uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 1 in Iconium. And Iconium is uh, a city within the area of Galatia. So if you know the, the letter Galatians that Paul would write, it was a letter that got uh, circulated around to the churches in the area. Iconium was one of the places that it would have been read. Um, it's in Turkey, uh, sort of the central north part of of Turkey. So at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. And when they pushed into new areas, especially ones that had Jewish presence, they would go first to religious people who should be open to hearing about who Jesus is. A lot of times their arguments came from Old Testament narratives. This is why we still continue to keep the Old Testament in our Bible, because the Old Testament points to everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, shares about Jesus. When we reread the Old Testament, now we see it through the eyes of of who Jesus is and what God was doing with Christ. And it helps us kind of get that foundation for, for who Jesus is. And so they would use that to argue uh, for Jesus with religious people. And they would say, hey, you know, this chapter in Isaiah and this thing going on here, this was always talking about Jesus. Let me show you a little bit about it. And they would kind of argue from the place of the Old Testament. And so that's what they did. They went into the Jewish synagogue. There are people who are open religiously and listening to their uh, to their argument for Jesus. So it says they spoke effectively that a great so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. And that's the other piece to what they were doing. E- each place that they went, there was a certain number of early adopters, a certain number of people who were open, who had their eyes opened, and they became believers. And then there would be a time where they would get to the end of that group of people and then there would kind of be trouble getting through to the rest of the people who were uh, kind of had their hearts sort of hardened. Or in a minute, we're going to see even another way of, of saying the same kind of concept. It says, But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And I, I want to focus a little bit on this idea of having our minds poisoned. The concept that we could potentially poison our own minds against the gospel. And the concept that we can poison other people sometimes against the gospel, or that there are people out there actively poisoning the minds of people against the, the, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And I, I feel like in our culture, it, it, this is as relevant today as it was in this time frame. That essentially you have a culture going in one direction, and you have Christ kind of standing firm in this place, but the culture continues to move away from Christian values, who Christ is, and continues to erode and, and attack kind of this, the idea of who Jesus is and wants to poison the minds of people. Not just, not just stand over here and kind of believe our own thing, but to continue to pull culture with it towards this area that goes away from who Christ is. And I was having this conversation with somebody, and I, this kind of seems like, a, like one of those things that, uh, as a youth pastor, I would have dealt with this a lot more in youth ministry. But I was having this conversation with an adult, with somebody who's in their like, late 20s, early 30s, and I was having this conversation. They hadn't been to church in a really long time, and 
Um, I had reached out, and we were kind of meeting and uh, letting the kids play, and we are having this conversation. I was like, so what's going on with you? You know, why, why haven't I seen you at church? Like, are you somewhere else at a different church? Like, it, it, are, you, are you in a, the faith at all? Are you in some sort of community? And, and by the way, when people leave our church, that's not always the worst thing in the world. Sometimes God calls them to other places, other churches. That's fine. Generally, I follow up with people just to make sure that they're somewhere. They're in some community. They have people around them. They're, they're in the faith still. And when I followed up with this person, you know, they told me, well, you know, I just, I've had a really hard time. COVID was really hard. And I, um, I've been watching a lot of TikTok videos I was like, this is where the problem begins. Uh, watching a lot of TikTok videos, and you know, there's a lot of things on there that make a lot of sense, and kind of like, I just don't know if I believe in God anymore. I just don't know if I believe in Christianity anymore. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm in the faith anymore. There's a lot of people on there, they make, they make really solid points, and I really feel like, and I was like, all right, well, like, show me some of it. Tell me, tell me about it. Let's talk about it. And kind of spent half an hour sort of unraveling some of those arguments that were really basic and simple and to be honest with you, things that were pretty easily overcome. Like, there's always a reason that one of those arguments can be overcome. The question is, where do you go to find that information? If your worldview is shaped by TikTok, I think you're in trouble, man. To be honest with you. Like, a lot of our teenagers, if that's what's shaping their worldview, I think, I think they're in trouble. Like, if you're 20s and 30s, uh, you know, if you're, on, if you're over 40, you shouldn't be on there anyways. But I think, I think there might be enough of a pull culturally on a platform like that that would basically make you think everybody in the world believes that, that what Jesus' truth isn't true and that there's all these problems with it and there's all these holes in it and there's all these things that cause you to not have faith. And what I recognize in most of these conversations, and I have a lot of them with a lot of people, I mean, I still work with plenty of millennials who were in my youth groups and plenty of people who are either older millennials or just barely into um, Gen X who are, were my leaders. And I, I think a lot of them, the, the one thing that kind of ties us all together is that when there's a, a, an argument against something or for something or that kind of causes them to think, they don't go to the Bible anymore. They just Google something and just take... It's like as if every single thing that comes up on Google is equally weighted. It's not. There are plenty of things that we shouldn't even pay attention to or listen to or read or look at that would influence us in a kind of a negative way towards who Christ is and towards Christian values, towards what the Bible says, towards those. And I'm all for fighting through these issues and kind of working on them and, and admitting times when there are really big questions that really are hard to answer. That's fine. That's good. That's really solid. But if we're only going to Google or to social media or to other people who don't necessarily have a Christian worldview, what do we think we're going to find in those places? More doubt, more issues, more things to question. And that's fine. Question them, but then maybe check in with your pastor or open up a Bible or talk to another Christian that you have a lot of you know, relationship with that you can trust. At least, at least hear both sides of the conversation. I think we're getting way down the path of having our minds poisoned by the culture around us. And that's just even one area. Like, I won't even start with the political poison that's out there with, you know, the, the fact that even now we can't even agree on the basic definitions of things. That we, The truth is eroding so quickly beneath our feet that it's been eroding for a very long time, but it's eroding so quickly now we can't even agree, like, 
on gender, on sexuality, on like basic, basic stuff that we always all agreed on, we can't even agree on. Like the truth that we would stand on as, uh, you know, as being in this time period and, and kind of agreeing on being a, a similar culture, we don't even agree on anymore at all. Your, your truth is your truth, and my truth is, is my truth. And I would say most of those people who would say that, what they're really telling you is that my experience doesn't align with your experience. They're not really talking about truth because what we're going to see here in a second is that truth applies to everybody. Truth is not something that we can necessarily erode or, or get a, away from. It's not like it applies to some of us and not all of us. It applies to all of us. There are certain things that we have to agree on, certain things that are kind of, you know, the foundation of everything that we believe. And as we watch the culture kind of poison and erode and kind of cut away at those things, we have to stand back and we have to say, I can't allow my mind to be poisoned by the culture around me. I can't allow these other influences to have this much influence on me. I need to go back to the Bible. I need to listen to what those arguments are. I need to understand, at least from the the Christian perspective, on how we answer some of these questions that I might have. And that's a good process if we do it that way. But when we never open a Bible and we never talk to anyone about it and we never we just allow those influences, then what, what happens? We just float away into what? Into nothingness. And in fact, we're going to see here in a second that you know, Paul talks about us doing that and becoming worthless, losing the influence that we could have in our lives because we can't find a firm foundation of truth in our lives. I would say this problem is just as big for us as it's ever been for anyone. Post-modernity, the erosion of truth, the erosion of language has created this massive problem. So, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. I love that Paul and Barnabas, as soon as they come against uh, negative uh, negativity or anyone that's going to fight with them or anyone that's going to cause trouble and division, they just like double down. They're like, we're in the right place doing the right thing. The minute things start coming against us, we know we're doing what God's called us to do. By the way, this is how you know the health and wealth gospel does not work. It's not a thing. Because almost everywhere in scripture, whenever there's like a, a, you know, a fight against the movement that's starting, it's generally a good thing. It's generally the fact that Jesus is doing something in that place, and now there's sort of a, a, an enemy coming against that movement. And when they saw you know, that they were going to be going through persecution, they were like, great, we're in the right place, and this is the right time. Let's keep moving. Like if we, we find ourselves going through persecution, that's not necessarily always the worst thing in the world. Paul says, hey, you can bet on this. Jesus says, hey, you can bet on this. You're, if you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up your cross every day, you're going you're gonna to do things, you're going to deal with some persecution. And there's, there's sort of like soft persecution. Like I would say, um, I was listening to one pastor talk about this, and it was like, this made perfect sense to me. It's like, you know, this idea that there are people that will scoff. There are people that will be like, whatever. You know, there are people that will write you off, that will not want to listen to the truth that you are living, the truth that is the foundation of your, of your faith. But there will be like scoffers. So there's like a soft amount where they might write you off or, or sideline you or maybe not listen to what you have to say or maybe like think different things about you. That's just like a very small amount of persecution. But all the way to, the, if that's a, a timeline here or like a spectrum, all the way from that to like physical persecution, which happens throughout our entire world. Last year was one of the most violent years against Christianity that we've, we've seen. Like, in fact, there was a lot of violence against Christians in all kinds of areas of the world, not, not necessarily here. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we go onto social media or we want to talk to people about how persecuted we are or we're not. 
We're not persecuted. We might have scoffers. We might have people not wanting to pay attention or want to sideline us or not want to listen. That's like one thing. That's a small amount of persecution. But the physical persecution, the bodily, the, the life-giving persecution is happening in other countries all throughout the world. There are people giving up their lives for the sake of Christ. And I think sometimes for us, we can't even get through some of the scoffing. Like we need to put our head down and realize that what we're dealing with is a very, very small amount of persecution compared to what the rest of the world is dealing. And when Paul and Barnabas ran up against persecution, it was like we're in the right place doing the right thing. They continue to speak boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And so when Jesus is in something, you see his spirit begin to do amazing things. This is what's happening in this area. And so it's enabling the the message to go out and for people to listen to it. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a, a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. A plot afoot. I Maybe that... Like, maybe somebody was killed with a candlestick in the sanctuarium. I don't know. What's, what's the clue? Somewhere in the, one of those clue, Mrs. Mustard, Colonel Mustard, killed somebody. A plot afoot. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with the leaders to mistreat them and stone them. We're going to see in a minute, Paul actually gets stoned. Uh, it won't be in today's message. It'll be next week's message. Paul gets stoned and then gets up and goes back into the city and keeps, keeps preaching. So... There you go. Like, they're going to deal with all this. And everywhere they go, there's this plot being uh, hatched by these Jews who are not for this idea of Jesus coming in and changing their worldview. And then they kind of stir up the powerful Gentiles in the area. So uh, chapter, chapter 14, verse 6. But they found out about it, and they fled to uh, Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to their surrounding Country And so they go from one Iconium to Lystra and Derby, also in the area of Galatia in the same region, also where Galatians would have been read. Uh, and it says they continued to preach the gospel, verse, verse 7. In Lystra, there was a man who was lame, uh, who sat, he had, sorry, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, which by the way, you can tell, like when people are listening and when they're not, uh, if you're a youth pastor, uh, by trade, if you grew up in that area, if you kind of, you know, learn ministry in that zone, you can tell with a middle schooler like immediately that they are, are or aren't listening based on their body language and what's going on with them. I can tell my son's not really listening. Um, just kidding. Uh, adults are harder. They can be like changing their uh, fantasy football lineups and paying attention to you. And you can like not even notice that they're like kind of looking at their phone and then looking at you. Um, by the way, when I preach, I don't look at everybody in the eyes. I generally find like one or two people that bounce back and forth to. So if you've ever felt like I was preaching at you or looking at you, I might have been. You might have been one of the four people that day that I might have been kind of connecting, trying to connect with. Um, so yeah, it's up to you to represent the rest of the room. If everyone starts falling asleep... You need to fall asleep. That's how it works. And you need to send me that message and help me understand. So Paul is looking directly at him, and he saw that he had faith to be healed. He can see it on this guy. This guy is desperate, and he's paying attention, and he wants to hear about Jesus, and he knows there's something. He knows there's something going on with Jesus, and he's got the faith to say, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day that I get up and walk out of here. Maybe Jesus can do this thing for me, and maybe this is is what I'm, I'm here for. And so... Uh, Paul calls out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, 
they shouted in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This has gone off the rails. This is not a good thing. Paul and Barnabas are like preaching the word and sharing the gospel, and they tell this guy to get up, and he gets up, and everybody is like blown away, and you think, this is perfect. Now they're going to uh, receive Christ. They're all going to be like, hey, we want to be in on this Jesus thing, and that's not what happens at all. In this city... They had this uh, kind of old story that they would tell that the, the city kind of had this like unique story about them. And it was this idea that Zeus and Hermes had come down at some point in their history and that the, the town had basically ignored them and not uh, showed them any hospitality. But there was this one older couple that took in Zeus and Hermes and, and took care of them. And so the Zeus and Hermes basically killed off the rest of the town and turned their house into like this palatial estate. And then that when those people died, they became these two trees that that grew in the middle of the city. And so these people were always waiting for a time to kind of repay Zeus and Hermes for the time that they missed, for the chance that they missed. Uh, And so as soon as they see these two guys and they see a, a, a miraculous event, they begin to give praise to their gods. They begin to give praise to the place where their worldview is built. And Paul and Barnabas don't even understand what's going on because they're talking in a completely different language that they're not aware of. They're talking in Lyconian. And so they're like basically like, hey, let's go and praise Zeus and Hermes. And basically this, the, the Zeus priest shows up and all of a sudden there's this thing happening and they're like, no, 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 no. This is about Jesus. Like this is, don't, don't do this. This is not good. So it says, when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes. They rushed out in the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. Don't worship us. We're only human. I feel like if just pastors could say this a little bit more. <laughs> do not, do not make offerings to your pastor, to other staff members. We're people. We're just regular people. We're sharing the gospel of Jesus. We want all of the fame, all of the, you know, everything to go to Christ. We want the worship to go to Christ. It's not, we're not worshiping our church. We're not worshiping the staff members of this church. We're worshiping Jesus together. He says, please, we're only human like you. We're bringing you good news. We're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. He says, if you invest your life into Zeus and Hermes and whatever else, whatever other things we've seen in this area, whatever things that people are putting their faith in, whatever things are defining people's identities, they are worthless. You define yourself by your sexuality, by your gender, by your nationality, by your political affiliation, by your own selfishness, worshiping yourself, by your children, by your family. Like all of these things, which some of them can be great, And they can be pieces of who you are. But when we start defining ourselves based on any of those things, we become worthless. They are worthless. They don't lead us to any place that's good. In fact, all we do is we need everybody else to verify that we're okay all the time when our identities are in all of these things that were never meant to carry our identity. We need everybody else to validate us all the time. We need people to throw us parades and give us months and talk about how this is the most defining thing that's ever been defined. 
And in reality, all of those things are little pieces of who we are, but our identity needs to be in Jesus. Is anybody following me with what I'm saying here? Our culture is saying all of these things should define you, and you should pick one of these things, and you should make yourself a protected class under this thing or that thing or this thing or that thing, and you should allow this thing to define you. And if you're a follower in Jesus, all those things are worthless. Your identity belongs to Christ. It is built through Christ. So the first thing that they do is they go to worship these small g identities that they have. And they say, this is what defines me. This is my identity. That's the first place they go. And these, these apostles are jumping into the middle of the phrase saying, guys, turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He says, look all around you. It's not hard to see that God's in control here and that he's creator and that he's good. He says, in the past, this God who we worship let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in season. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. He says, maybe you didn't know the name of God and maybe you didn't understand who Jesus was, but you could walk outside and you could look around and you could see everything operating in order. Everything made sense. Rain comes and it goes. Seasons come and they go. We produce crops during a certain time. We save them through the winter. We do this. It's a cycle that you see happening. You look at creation. You see the interesting like creativity that's all around you. All of this seems to be designed by something. And he's like, you can walk outside and you can say, something did this. Right? But this is another piece of what's like poisoning our minds in today's culture. Because what is... What do we do? For some reason, we, we, there's this conflict that tries to be stoked between like science and, and Christianity, and there's reasons for that that generally I would say there shouldn't be any issues. Right? Science is just um, taking a look at everything around us and kind of ordering and understanding it. And at the end of it, I look at what, what I see in science, whatever I learn in science, and it tells me more about who God is, tells me about his character. But what is the thing that we have to do in order to get rid of this God and to worship our little identities that we have all around us? Well, we have to figure out how to eliminate God from the picture. And so that means we have to erode the creation. That means we have to stand back and go, well, you know, we're not really sure how all this got spun up, but there was like some, some like elements there in the beginning. There were like gases and, and I'm doing a terrible job. Those of you who are, those of you who are scientists, you're like, this guy knows nothing. And then I would be like, well, where did that stuff come from? We're not sure. It's, it was there. Uh, it's just this stuff, and then there's a collision. Well, what created that? What caused that collision? I don't know. You can imagine the gases would collide and ex- explode, and then, then there's an explosion. It's like one of the most powerful things that ever happened. Everything in, in, in creation is moving out from a center point, right? And all of it is expanding as far as you can see. And scientists are still shaking their head like this idiot. But the whole point is like, we have to somehow eliminate God from the equation in order to get to the identities that we want. So we say, like, you know, even though it's so clear to you that you can walk outside and you can take a look at the leaves and you can see how they're so different and have all this, you know, variance, you can look at the created, you know, animals and, and you can look at how the, the world works and the fact that we can breathe and that there's, you know, rain that's coming and the fact that, like, if any one of like 10,000 things were off by just like a little bit, like our entire like 
ecosystem would be destroyed. Like if gravity was just like a little bit different, all of it collapses. And if, you know, the plants weren't exactly where they are, then like, I mean, just like all this stuff kind of works. And you should realize that there's a creator. And I think today the, the way that we're eroding that truth is to say, no, there's no creator. This is all, it's all random. It's all happening. Because there was some gases then being exploded. Like I think it takes a lot more faith to believe that. And to walk out there and say, like, this was created. That, that's all Paul is saying here. He's like, look, you, you know this God. He's not, his name's not Zeus and it's not Hermes, but you know him. You've, you've worked the fields before. You've seen how this all kind of operates. You've seen how, how much care is it's like in the world around us. This, this is why I can't necessarily understand why, why people seem to be, like, anti-environmental. Like, like, we should want to be, like, caring for this planet. Like, God made this and gave it to us. We should be incredible enthusiasts on how to care for and take care of the world that we live in. I, mean, I don't want to be political, but I'm, I just feel like we should be for God's creation. Like, I'm for all of the people that he created. I'm for all of the animals that he created. I'm for this ecosystem that he gave us. Like, I, I want to protect it, do everything I can. This is what Paul's saying. You should know this God. He's familiar to you already. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. And that's, that's where we leave the story off here in Acts chapter 14, verse 18. But I want to go real quick to Romans chapter 1. And I want to share with you another message that Paul gave in a very similar context and kind of zeroed in on what it looks like to make sure that our minds are not poisoned and that we don't become worthless. Look at what it says in Romans uh, chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to start with verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people. And you might f- feel like that that's a, a tough way to talk about God, that like, why does it kind of focus on his wrath? And I'll be perfectly honest with you, Romans is a tough book to get through. It is like full of theological truth bombs. You can honestly spend an entire sermon talking about a verse, literally every verse. I haven't yet tackled this one. Uh, even though we work through sections of scripture, we haven't gotten to Romans. I'm going to tell you that it has nothing to do with me being intimidated by preaching on it. Um, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. But you should just stop and say, do I want a God who doesn't have wrath against godlessness and wickedness? Because I feel like you might have justice problems if you want that God. I feel like this God has wrath against things that deserve, that deserve wrath. And you know this is true because you have wrath against things. You definitely have wrath against things. Right? Anytime someone mistreats uh, a, a waiter or a waitress or a service industry person, I got wrath. I got like, what in the world are you doing, man? That guy makes like 15 bucks an hour. Why are you giving that? Per- I got wrath. I got, even more serious stuff. Like imagine something happened to your kids that someone you know, committed a crime against you. You would have wrath. That would be a good thing. Right? We all have wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness. He said, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He, he talks about us actually trying hard to suppress the truth. And I feel like the world around us is doing that. I feel like a lot of us as Christians are even doing that. There's certain things we go, ah, this doesn't really fit with my worldview. And so I know this is in the Bible. I know Jesus is like down with this. And this is the way to believe about God. But I don't like it. So I'm going to suppress this truth. And um, I, I heard one person talking about this. And it was just like so smart. 
It's like, it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Like, have you ever, like, held a ball underwater and, like, stood on it in a pool? And it's like, you know, how long can you stand on it? It's only a certain amount of time before that come pop, comes popping back up. You could suppress truth as long as you want, but eventually that truth is going to continue to pop back up in your life. You can exchange truth for a lie. You can suppress truth by your own, your own wickedness. You can say, I, I know that that's what the Bible has to say. That's what Jesus has to say. But I don't believe that part of it. I'm going to suppress that part of it. You're just going to be working your entire life to suppress that thing that the Bible has to say. You're going to be showing that your worldview is not Jesus and his word, but it's you picking from the buffet of what you want to believe and what is true. The Bible is going to say things that will offend you. At a certain point, a Christian who's growing in their faith begins to understand that I don't get to pick and choose what is true. It either is or it isn't. The worldview is, am I going to trust what Jesus has said in his word, what he's laid out for me, or am I going to continue to suppress that truth and hold it down and try to keep it from popping back up? And it's work. It's not what we were called to do. So it says, who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. That's the argument again, that you could just go outside and see the creator. His creation is incredible. It's out there for you to understand who he is. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We know that there's a creator who's out there creating on our behalf, creating this world that we live in. That yes, this world is busted because of sin. We're the ones that brought that into the world. That God is redeeming all things and bringing them back to the original intention of his creation. For although they knew God, talking about people who suppress the truth, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. He says, if you suppress the truth long enough, there's a futility that comes along with your thinking. It just gets ridiculous. It gets more and more ridiculous. And look at our culture. It feels like sometimes we get to certain issues and it has jumped the shark. I don't even know what that phrase means. But it's gotten too far. It's gotten way off track. Wherever it started, whatever the question was, it's gotten so far away then all of a sudden we find ourselves defending ridiculous things that make no sense at all. Our, our thinking has become futile. We are foolish. Our hearts are being darkened by the idea that we can't literally hold on to truth because we're fighting it, we're suppressing it, we're pushing it back. We're maybe even not able to be, to be able to stand there firmly and to proclaim what Jesus has taught us. Although they claim to be wise, these, these people who suppress the truth, they became fools. They became silly. They became ridiculous. There's another section that, a little bit further down, and it's got this whole list of, of things that you, know, that you would become uh, if, if you continue to suppress the truth. And uh, I love it because it's got my childhood kind of written in there. Um, you're like, what? What? Um, I'm just going to quickly read this to you. If I can find it, I know I can. No, I cannot. Here, hold on. It's in Romans. I got it. Just, just stick with me for a second. It's, it's worth it, I promise. So he says, um, he says, because of all this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Uh, and he says, they, they, can, they started to exchange uh, truth for a lie. Furthermore, um, 
Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would they do what ought not to be done. They had become filled with every kind of wickedness. So here you go, wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. This is where it becomes my childhood. They invent ways of doing evil. I was like, that was all I did as a kid. I just found ways to do evil. The next thing says they disobeyed their parents. Yes, they disobeyed their parents. I still have a hard time obeying my parents. Although they knew God's righteousness, his righteous decree to do such things, they observed, they deserved that, sorry, these things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. They be, all this stuff becomes normal. The culture then becomes dark. All this stuff becomes part of the like, truth that people are believing because they're exchanging and suppressing truth. They're exchanging truth for a lie. They're exchanging what God, who God is for something that he's not. And they're suppressing truth. They become fools. It says they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. Birds, animals, reptiles. They end up worshiping things that are images of little g gods instead of the God, and this is the, the sad part. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies to one another. Um, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. They became worthless, they, they worshiped worthless things. And I just want to challenge you for a second because you're like, this sermon's for somebody else. I, I know it's true. Do, do you? Because I, I don't think any of us really have this figured out. In fact, there's a sense of humility that has to go along with what we believe about God. You can't wrap your mind around everything that is true about who God is. You should spend your entire life learning new things about who God is. But it comes from a foundation of truth that we don't suppress we allow that truth to change who we are. There are things in our lives, that corners that need to get kind of shaped up and places in us that need to get fixed and changed. We're places where we need to grow. And it, it's interesting. I was talking with somebody the other day and they were like, yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting about kids. You know, they're so malleable and they continue to change and grow and they kind of grow. And uh, we were talking about how when I was a youth pastor, you know, I'd have kids and they'd have stuff going on in their lives and those things would come and go. Every year I was graduating another group of seniors and uh, those kids would go and it would hurt to watch them leave, you know, but then sometimes some of their stuff that they had left. They left my care and went to someone else's and now whatever they were carrying along with them, the pain or difficulties that would, would go to a new shepherd. And there were times where I was like, hey, that was a rough, that was a rough couple years walking alongside this student. And now that they're gone, like, if I'm going to be real honest, like, whew, okay, Let's move on to the next kid who's got issues. And you know, as a pastor, like, you guys don't graduate. <laughs> I get to keep your stuff forever. You got problems, you got things that are going on, you're not aware of, like, you know, weaknesses and, and blind spots. Like, they continue to be weaknesses and blind spots into perpetuity. I get to be your shepherd forever. You know, it was funny in that conversation I was having with that person, they go, yeah, you know, adults just never grow. I would think there's a lot of places in your life where you could be challenged about suppressing the truth because either it just doesn't work for you, doesn't fit your worldview, 
you're really worshiping something else in that, in that area. Maybe you're, you know, afraid to say it out loud. Maybe you're worried about what people will do to you or think about you. You whisper some of this stuff instead of say it straightforwardly. I think if we were being honest, if we were being humble, we would all look at our own lives and say, there's probably truth that's being expressed. I'm standing on some kind of beach ball trying to hold it down. And maybe it's in one of these like hot areas that you know, we, we're seeing conflict all over, but, but maybe not. Maybe it's the truth of who Jesus is. Maybe it's your worldview that you know, you're serving yourself or you're serving other, some sort of other small G, and that's getting in the way of your growth as a believer, you should continue to be growing and changing and being challenged and growing in all these areas. And if you've felt like this last year, this last two years, three years, five years, whatever, has been stagnant, why? Why has it been stagnant? Have you, have you traded the truth for a lie and become worthless? Have you lost your effectiveness for the gospel because you're afraid to hold on to all of it because of what the culture says about who you are or what that means? Because Paul and Barnabas are saying, let go of that. Be who Jesus called you to be and believe fully his gospel. Because that is the transformational piece. And he, he finishes that section by telling them the gospel, by teaching them. Hey guys, don't worship us. Don't, don't give, you know, don't worship us. Worship the creator. His truth may not always align with your truth. But your truth isn't important. Your truth isn't really a thing. Your experience might need to align with God's truth. And that might be somewhat difficult, but that is what we're called to do as believers. Let me pray for us. God, I, I pray that you would challenge each of us. There are definitely places in our lives where we have exchanged the truth for a lie, where we have suppressed the truth to serve ourselves or to serve the, the narrative that our culture gives us, God, would you continue to allow your word to speak to us, to allow trustworthy individuals to guide us, God? Would you continue to have your Holy Spirit impress upon us what is true so that we don't exchange truth for a lie, so that we don't suppress truth in our own lives and become worthless? We don't want to spend our time worshiping worthless things and become worthless ourselves, God. We want to worship you take our cues from you, find our truth in you, put our identity in you, and be called to something that is worthwhile, something that makes a difference in the world and the difference in the lives of people around us. God, would you continue to fill us with your spirit so that we can walk every day in step with who you are and who you called us to be, God? Would you continue to challenge us in those areas where we have exchanged the truth for a lie? In Jesus' name, amen.